Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. It's good to have you with us today. This morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of deepening our relationships and surrounding ourselves with layers of support. And again, we're, we're doing this in mind with our general theme that we've been looking at through the course of the summer here, this idea of why not you and what it looks like to actually stop talking ourselves out of the dreams, desires, and calling God has placed on our lives. One of the things that I think that we as, as people tend to do is in, instead of just saying yes when the Lord tells us to do something, sometimes we, we talk ourselves out of it like we are not the servant that he could use for the task that he's given us to do. But one of the blessings that we have the privilege to experience as believers in Jesus Christ, and we're experiencing it right now as we're gathered together for worship, is the privilege to, to really deepen relationships and be surrounded by people that have the opportunity to speak into our lives and, and and give us support in a variety of ways that we need it, and also give us clarity in ways that we may be really wrestling with. I believe that, that one of the, the major ways that the Lord speaks to us is through the people uh, that are part of the family of God, that are part of our life, that are able to offer us godly counsel. And so we're going to look at a portion of Scripture today that is one of my favorite portions of Scripture as far as its application is concerned, because it describes what it looks like when we as believers take a genuine interest in one another and actually start making very healthy investments in one another's lives. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first seven verses of Galatians 6, and it's not a very long section, but I think you'll see as we read this together in just a moment that there's a lot of applicable things here in this portion of Scripture. So turn with me, if you would, Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to come together today and look at it together. Lord, we're grateful for what you've spoken to us through it. We're grateful for what you reveal to us in it. And Lord, we're grateful that when we look at your word, we're not just looking at static words on a page. You're giving us a glimpse of your heart. You're giving us a glimpse of your mind. You're showing us things that we would not naturally be aware of. And so, Lord, we're grateful that we have the privilege to look at a portion of Scripture like this, that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the, to the believers in Galatia. And you were using him to communicate something that, that they needed and we need as well. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at these verses together today, that you'd help us to understand just the nature of what it means to deepen the relationships that you've blessed us with and what it looks like to live in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ and what it looks like to surround ourselves with layers of Christ-centered support. And so we commit this time to your care, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to start off our week looking at your word together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when, when I promise something to somebody, 
I do my best to keep those promises. I'm not a big fan of, of uh, polite conversations when people tell each other things that they don't actually mean or that they don't actually intend on following up on just because it sounds good in the moment. So I try not to do that. Try not to have those, those uh, you know, essentially meaningless conversations. So if someone tells me that they're going to do something, I have found throughout the course of my life that I tend to respect them when they actually do it. And I've learned that if I want others to respect me, I need to be sure to do what I have promised to do. So this won't seem like a big deal, what I'm about to share, but I know um, in in the context, it was one of those moments that actually had a a chance to prove that. So I mentioned last week how a little over a month ago, after 14 years of driving the same vehicle, I finally updated my vehicle. And then I, I posted a picture of it online. And a friend of mine who lives here in the area said to me, He said, hey, nice car. When are you going to pick me up so we could go out and grab some ice cream in it? And I I said, you know, we we could do that soon. He doesn't live that far from me. I said, let's do that sometime this summer. You know, we'll make a point to do that. Well, the other day I had the opportunity to make good on that promise. I feel like that that's one of those things that you could easily say but not really mean. But in my mind, I thought, well, if I'm saying that we're going to get ice cream, at some point we're getting ice cream. And so late in the afternoon, he actually sent me a text and he said, hey, any chance tonight might be a good night for us to grab that ice cream so I could check out your car? And I I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then I checked the weather report and it was calling for severe thunderstorms. And I thought, all right, well, that's not good because the top comes down and I wanted to take the top down so that we could enjoy that, but I didn't want to wreck the car after just getting it. And so I said, hey, um, I'm free now and it's supposed to rain later. Any chance you'd be available now so we could just go grab ice cream now? And he said, yeah, I'm free. I was like, all right, I'll be over in 10 minutes to pick you up. So I came over, picked him up. He even treated for the ice cream. I was prepared to treat for the ice cream, and he said, no, I got this. I was like, this day keeps getting better and better. (laughs) And by the way, if you're treating for ice cream, just let me know. I'll be like the ice cream man that picks you up and takes you (laughs) to ice cream. I will do that. Just pick a day when it's not raining. But I mentioned that story for two reasons, you know, maybe three. One, it just made me laugh, and it was kind of fun. But the two bigger reasons, so first of all, I think one of the biggest ways that we can communicate that we value one another is by keeping our word to each other. So if I say to somebody that I'm going to do something, I want to do that. I want to follow through on it because I actually think it communicates to somebody else. I actually value you. And I think that that's a reciprocal thing. But second, I think that story was just kind of something that reminded me just through a simple example during the middle of my week that we are not designed by God to walk through life alone. God has designed us to live in community, to develop relationships, even in small ways. And in fact, when you look throughout the course of Scripture, all throughout the Word of God, we see examples where the Lord encourages us to deepen our relationships. We see examples where the Lord encourages us to remain accountable to one another. We see examples of the Lord encouraging us to surround ourselves with all sorts of layers of support. That's how the church is supposed to operate. That's how his people are supposed to live in community with one another. And I've also come to believe that the input that we receive from our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also keep in mind the ways in which they respond to the help that we offer them, 
It also can give us greater clarity on the nature of our calling and the ways in which God wants to use our lives. I think sometimes the way people respond to the help we give and the input that they also give to us helps us develop that level of clarity. So if you've been thinking about these things over the course of this past uh, month or so since we've been talking about the nature of this in our sermon time, I want you to understand, and I I hope that this will encourage you, that a lot of that clarity will come to your life through the people that you surround yourself with, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and who speak truth into your day-to-day life. And the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Galatians chapter 6 really gives us a very succinct and very helpful outline, essentially, of of how this actually works out in the life of a believer. And one of the things that we could see right in verse 1, so I'll reread verse 1 in just a moment here, but one of the things that I see in verse 1 of Galatians 6 is that it encourages us not to live our lives in isolation. Don't live your life in isolation. Let me read what Galatians 6.1 says. I've read it just a moment ago, but let me reread it. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, the other day I heard a man share a a story about a very interesting career change that he had made. He decided to actually go and buy a diesel truck. And what he's doing lately, and I guess he's been doing this now for a couple months, is that he takes that truck and he uses it to tow brand new campers. So these campers, after they're, after they're made, he tows them from the factory or from a dealer to the homes of people who have purchased these campers. And so he's driving all around the United States doing this. He said it pays reasonably well. It's kind of tempting, especially when the weather's nice, isn't it, to think, doesn't like half the congregation feel like, should I just start a new life and deliver campers all around the United States? All I need to do is buy, unless you have an allergy to it, I don't, you know, if you're a person... Vir- <laughs> I don't, want to, I don't want to cast something on your life there. That, um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's driving these campers all around the United States, delivering these things to people. He got this diesel truck. He's driving it around. He's, he's making these deliveries, and he's enjoying it. And he, he said, you know, it pays reasonably well. It's not the, the best-paying job in the world, but it's not a bad-paying job. But there was one major drawback to this new career. And as he was talking about it, there was, it, it actually was kind of obvious, the one major drawback to delivering these campers all around the United States, and I think some of you have already figured out what that drawback happens to be. He spends a considerable amount of time in isolation. He spends a considerable amount of time by himself. And he admitted that that sometimes is nice, but if it's left unbalanced, he, he's starting to realize, okay, this... I have to figure out how to, how to counteract this isolation because I'm enjoying the job, but I can see that the isolation isn't great. Now, I think most of us probably appreciate moments of privacy and time to ourselves if we can get it, especially if you have young children at home. You know, some of you right now, your only time of privacy during the course of the week is right now while your children are in children's church, and you're sitting here taking it in. I, I saw way too many heads nod affirmatively, so let's let you enjoy this time of privacy. It's sort of privacy, but it's not total isolation, right? And if we could get those moments of privacy, I think from time to time, we certainly appreciate it. We certainly enjoy it, but if we're living our lives where the majority of our time is spent in isolation and we're not really, not really receiving or not even open to the outside input of others, there is a lot that we will inevitably miss out on. 
and it's not healthy for us. Now, community is healthy for God's family. Community is healthy for God's family. And it's healthy for God's family because it's, it, it actually demonstrates something about God to us. In fact, community is something that we see in the nature of God. And, and we have been created in His image, so consider this for a second. For all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have lived in perfect fellowship, perfect relationship, perfect community. From eternity past through present day, eternity future, God by nature lives in perfect relationship and perfect community. And as those who have been fashioned to reflect Him, as those who have been created in His image, we've been designed for fellowship and relationship as well. We're we're called to reflect Him. We're called to look like Him. We're called to operate like He operates. And in fact, think about this. Soon after Adam was created, what did the Lord say? As he's observing Adam's life, as he's observing Adam, and this wasn't a mystery to God. God knew where this story was going. But he looks at Adam, and he sees him, and he makes a statement where he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That's in Genesis 2.18. Again, he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So now keep all of that in mind when revisiting what Paul said to the church at Galatia here. When Paul was writing to the Galatian believers, I believe he had some of these foundational concepts in mind that were undergirding the statements that he was making here. And here you have the Apostle Paul speaking of times when believers might actually be caught in a transgression. The way he says it here, he says, brothers, anyone is caught in any transgressions, right? So he has in mind believers that might be might be, you know, times when they might be caught in a transgression. Well, how about this? How can you be caught doing anything if, you know, whether positive or negative, if a person isn't living in proximity to others in some fashion, right? For you to be caught doing anything, whether it be positive or negative, you need to be in proximity to other people. So if you're isolated from people, you're not going to be caught doing something positive. You're not going to be caught doing something negative necessarily, at least not initially, at least not when, when it should be caught, if you're not living in proximity to other people. And in response to that, you know, Paul says if somebody's caught in a transgression, he gives a response to that. He, he says that, that the church should attempt to gently restore such brothers and sisters after these errors are made, that that attempt should be made on their behalf, that we should gently restore, if they're, if they're open to that restoration, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should attempt to do that. But again, how can that restoration be made if all we do is avoid one another and live in isolation? There's not going to be any opportunity to hold one another accountable, nor will there be opportunity to restore one another because we'll be living outside of relationship. We'll be living in isolation, which is not healthy and it's not good. And here's the other part of this. No believer can grow to the level that they have been designed to grow. They make a habit of avoiding the very people in their life that God has put to help them get there. And I think one of the things that I've noticed over the course of, of my years as a pastor, sometimes I'll have conversations with people who say, you know, I'm just not growing in my faith. And they think there's something they must do more and more and more. And one of the things that I'm often curious about in those moments is if you're not growing in your faith, could it be that you have utilized the limits of your own personal giftedness 
And it may be that you're avoiding the very people that God has placed in your life that are supposed to speak something into your life or model something to you or challenge you regarding one of your blind spots, and you're not even seeing it because you're living in isolation from the very people that God's called you to live in deep relationship with and deep fellowship with. And so one of the challenges that we're given here in this portion of Scripture is don't live your life in isolation. Don't live your life in isolation. Tell me that wasn't one of the most challenging things over the past year and a half or so. In moments of forced isolation, I thought to myself, you know what? may actually lose my mind. Some people would say, I've already been there, right? I've already seen the other side of that, you know? It's like, no, you know what? I, I, I watched as that was going on and on and on, and I finally got to a breaking point, and I noticed within myself, it's like, I would rather... Well, I don't know if I want to say it as emphatically as this, but I think I kind of mean it, so I'm just going to say it. I remember getting to a point, I'm like, if this is all there is, if life is meant to be lived in isolation like this, is this I'd rather be dead than this be the permanent reality that I have to experience. I was like, no way, done with this. And I look at what Scripture says here, and it's saying, we're not desi- the reason it feels so unnatural, the reason it feels so unnatural is that it goes against the essence of how you've actually been created and recreated. Because you are recreated in Jesus Christ, not for isolation, but for relationship with Him and with one another. And then the Scripture goes on to tell us a little bit more about what this looks like. And here we're challenged to, to, say, you know, to, to really recognize that we have the opportunity to help our brothers and sisters carry their burdens. The way Paul's, Paul says it here very succinctly in Galatians 6, verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there are a variety of things that Jesus did for us. There are a variety of things that Jesus taught to us. There are a variety of things that Jesus demonstrated in order to help us understand by observing what he did. When Jesus came to this earth, he kept the requirements of the Old Testament law for us, and he did so perfectly. Even though we couldn't do it, he did it because we couldn't do it. And he also taught us that we could summarize the heart of God's law this way, by loving God and loving one another. If you want to summarize the heart of the law of God, love God and love one another. And then he went to the cross And then at the cross, he took the burden for our sin upon himself, and he died a substitutionary death in our place on the cross. And if we claim to love Jesus, we should value what he's done for us. And I think one of the most powerful ways that we can demonstrate the fact that we value what he's done for us is by treating one another like he's treated us. And so you have the Apostle Paul explaining that in more detail here. You have Paul explaining to the Galatians that bearing one another's burdens was a visible demonstration of our love for Jesus and our love for one another. And he describes our willingness to bear one another's burdens as a fulfillment of the law of Christ. That's how he describes that here. It's like a fulfillment of the law of Christ. So the way we treat one another is a visible example that shows the work of Christ that's been done on our behalf and how it's actually had an effect on our day-to-day lives. It's the fruit of a heart that's been changed by the Holy Spirit who indwells all who trust in Jesus Christ. And so my question for you in relation to that specific aspect of this here is this. Who, for Christ's glory, is helping you carry your burdens? Who is doing that in your life? There are people in my life who are blessing me in that way. I'm very conscious of their presence, and I'm very grateful for them because it makes 
a huge difference in my quality of life. There are people in my life who help me carry burdens. When I have, I have, I have a friend who uh, just a few months ago noticed in subtle ways things that I was like, just something that came out of my mouth, and he noticed in subtle ways that it, it, to him it indicated, are you burdened with something? And he followed up with me, and he said, there's, it seems to be there's something burdening you, and it wasn't anything major. It, it was really like a scheduling thing that was weighing on my mind, and, and he said, you know, let me help you work through this. Let me help you think through this. I think, I'm so grateful for the people that are in my life that help me bear burdens. Even small things sometimes feel big, like big burdens when we're trying to carry these things alone. And likewise, the older that I get, and the longer I walk with Jesus, the more he's impressing upon my heart the desire to try to carry the burdens of others for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think I was more selfish about that when I was younger, but as my faith matures, I'm becoming less selfish about the burdens that I find myself willing to bear. Now, any, anyone here a big music fan? Just sing your response if you are real. So I, I'm a big music fan, and one of the things that the Lord has used throughout the course of my life to speak to me and to to teach me a variety of things are the lyrics of some of my favorite musicians. And uh, I have a few albums I always joke with my wife. I, I, I think, and some, most of these are albums I still own a physical copy of, so I can tell you how long I've had these, right, since everything's digital now. But I, I've said to her many times, I said, you know, if our house ever catches on fire, I need to take these 10 albums with me. And she's like, and your family, right? And I'm like, and my family and these 10 albums. And, uh, and she even said to me the other day, we were talking about this, and she said, have you ever thought maybe, because I have all my albums alphabetized, that's how OCD I am, They're all, how are you going to find them, right? There's so much there. And, uh, and so she's like, have you ever thought about taking those 10 albums and just putting them in their own section so you could grab them, put them in a bag on the way out? And I was like, I've never thought of that. So now she's enabling me. <laughs> but, uh, but one of those albums, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, do you ever hear of, the, hear of a singer named Charlie Peacock? Does anyone know that name? It's his stage name. I just found out recently. It's not, his, uh, it's not his given name at birth. I hope I'm not giving away a secret that Charlie wouldn't want me to reveal to the world. But he has an album that came out in 1995, and it's called Everything That's On My Mind. And he wrote this album right after his father passed away. And the record is filled with his reflections of all kinds of wisdom that he received from his father during the course of, of their relationship and some of the lessons that his dad taught him throughout the course of his life. And I actually think he probably wrote that album while he was in that grieving process and trying to just kind of channel that grief in a very healthy way. And in one song on that album, he speaks about a time when he was away and then he came home and got, his tr and got in trouble with his father almost immediately after coming home. And he says it this way, and I'm going to do my best not to break out in song because the meter of the song is in my mind. I'm just going to quote the lyrics to you. But he says this. It's in his song, Aim a Little Higher. He says, In later years, on a river of tears, I drifted home for a while. Since shame was the only glory I'd ever known, I didn't change my style. First night home, I got drunk and confused. Mistook you for a fool. You were not amused. You said, aim a little higher, because you're not living. All this taking, son, and never giving is going to catch up to you like a ball of fire. So aim a little, aim a little, aim a little higher. 
I was listening to that song recently, and that line in particular, we said, all this taking, son, and never giving, that's going to catch up to you like a ball of fire. You better aim a little higher. So his counsel, Charlie's dad gave to him, and he decided to include in a song, and now for the past 26 years, I've been singing it and thinking it and now quoting it. I actually reached out to him this week. I was like, hey, can we chat? I wonder if he'll get back to me. I have no idea. But in thinking about this, I thought, I'm just going to send him an email. The internet has democratized communication, has it not? You know, it's like, let's see if he gets back to me. But what do you think? As you assess your life, if you've been going through life, doing too much taking and not enough giving. Is that a pattern you notice in your own life, in your own experience? Too much taking, not enough giving. Has that been the pattern you've noticed in your relationships with others? Or are you at a spot where you're saying, you know what, I think I'm willing to start helping my brothers and sisters carry their burdens while also having the humility to allow them to help me carry my burdens? Because sometimes we resist that, don't we? Someone comes into our life that God has sent there and they offer to help us and we're like, no, I got this. It's like, really? Because you're really messing it up really, really bad. It's like, are you sure you got this? It's like, I got this. Let me make more of a mess of it. Then, in desperation, I will accept your help. It's like, oh, I see how this goes, right? We're called to bear one another's burdens. I think we need to accept that help, but we also need to give that help. Something else the Apostle Paul brings up, and I'll just mention this briefly. But when he's talking about this idea of relationships, he gives us counsel here to be careful that we make sure that what we believe about ourselves is accurate in the midst of that. And the way he phrases it is in verses 3 through 5 of Galatians 6. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. I like how that says these things here, because pride and conceit can get in the way of us seeing ourselves through an accurate lens. And so you have the Apostle Paul cautioning us related to these things here in these verses. So as we're bearing one another's burdens, we shouldn't do so with a puffed-up attitude. We shouldn't look at the struggles of others in a condescending way, or think of ourselves as better just because maybe we struggle in different areas than somebody else struggles. And I think sometimes that's definitely things that we, something that we might wrestle with, and I think the Apostle Paul is addressing that here. And I think likewise, as he's saying here, we shouldn't make a habit of comparing the fruit of our efforts with the fruit of other people's efforts, because Jesus himself is our ultimate standard, and none of us can compare with him. And so we really should think of ourselves with humility. And you have the Apostle Paul demonstrating that here in the words that he says. You know, we should do what we're called to do to the best of the ability that we can do it. And we should entrust the ultimate results over to the Lord who delights to bless the fruit of our efforts in ways that are exponentially beyond anything we could ask or expect. But again, as we trust the Lord in this way, as Paul's encouraging us to do, let's be sure that we continue to see ourselves from Christ's eyes, that we begin to understand who we are in His eyes, that we are His children, just like everyone else in our life, and we too have struggles, but we could trust the Lord to see us through them all, that we can entrust ourselves over to His care, that we can trust our, our, our Lord to 
ultimately intervene on our behalf and see us through these things, and we don't need to puff ourselves up, and we don't need to degrade ourselves. We just simply need to see ourselves through Christ's eyes and respond accordingly. And I also think that if we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of Christ, we'll also begin to see those that He's placed in our lives through that same lens. It'll be the way we learn to look at people. And I think that that's a great way to begin deepening our relationship with other people as we begin seeing ourselves from His perspective and seeing them from His perspective as well. But there's one other thing that Paul brings up in this portion of Scripture that I think matters when we're talking about this idea of deepening relationships and surrounding ourselves with with layers of support. And he teaches us here that we will reap what's being sown into our lives. You and I are going to reap what's being sown into our lives. The way he phrases it in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 6 is this way. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches And then he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Yesterday, my wife and I drove up to northeast Pennsylvania near where I grew up because I was asked by uh, a family that we're friends with to speak for a funeral service. And the funeral service was for my my, I used to call her my old Sunday school teacher, and she said, how about you call me your former Sunday school teacher, not your old Sunday school teacher. But she was my pastor's wife and was one of the major spiritual influences in my life growing up. And I actually had the opportunity to, to visit with her a little bit uh, right after Easter, the day after Easter, but I knew uh, from talking to her family that her time on this earth was coming to a close, and the family asked if I would come and if I would... Um, you know, just share some things at the funeral uh, and also read some things that they had prepared. And so yesterday we did that. And it was interesting because when you're given an opportunity like that, you think about the nature of the investments that people have made in your life. And this was somebody that had made some major investments in my life during a formative season. I've, I've shared with you multiple times that it was right around when I was age 15 that I started to get serious about my faith in Christ. Well, when you're a new Christian and just growing in that, I had known the Lord for a couple of years, but I was still in that phase where I was relatively new in my faith. And that's when I was starting to take it seriously. And I had a lot of questions. And again, she taught the teen group in our church And I used to just bring question after question after question to her on Sunday mornings, and she would do her best to answer them. And then she started having me write out a list that she would then take home, and she and her husband would discuss them, and then bring that list back the next week with answers to those questions. And I'd have a new list present for her, and then that became our cycle for a long time. And if I had questions during the week, I would call the parsonage. I would call either my pastor or Mrs. Beth, and... um, I'd call her up and I'd say, all right, I have this question. I'm sharing the gospel with a friend of mine. I still remember one time I had a friend over and uh, I was sharing the gospel with him and he asked me something that I didn't know the answer. I was like, I don't know the answer, but I do know who, who does. And I called her up and I said, hey, I've got my friend here. Could you give us an answer to this? And she's like, what? You know, little do you, you never know when you're going to be asked to participate in a moment of evangelism, right? And uh, I think she got a kick out of that. And, it, it, and so they, they made a lot of investments in my life. And, and and we're really significant about it. I still remember another time, forgive me if I'm, I'm telling a bunch of stories about them, but I was kind of reflective of this this past week. I remember one particular time, I had been reading the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, and that's become my favorite portion of Scripture. 
And, um, and I was reading it, and I was looking at the advice Jesus gives there, and I thought, boy, this is so different from the advice that so many people give. And in one portion of Scripture there, he talks about the idea if somebody steals one article of clothing from you, give them a second article, right? If I'm summarizing his words, he's saying, he's saying if somebody steals something from you, that's fine. Just give them the next thing, too. You know, if they take your, your, um, your cloak, give them your tunic as well. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting statement. If someone steals from you, give them what they've stolen. I don't know what I think about that. Well, I had the opportunity as a young believer to have that tested. I was running cross-country at the time, and, uh, and my family just bought me a new pair of sneakers because my old sneakers had worn out, and they really didn't fit very well. And it's not safe to run long distance on, in shoes that don't fit well. And so they bought me a new pair of sneakers, and I brought them to school, and I kept them in the locker there for cross-country and uh, I only had them for like a week or so, and then I come to school the one day, and I notice that my gym locker, that the lock is broken off. And I was like, don't even. And I open it up, and the shoes are gone. And I remember looking at this, and I was like, come on. And, um, and I was like, does anyone know what happened here? And nobody knew what had happened. And then finally, somebody later in the day said, hey, I figured out who stole your shoes. And it was a kid that was two years younger than me. And so in my mind, I was like, it's on. And I was like, let me find him. And then I had that check in my spirit where it's like, what do you suppose Jesus would do if someone stole his shoes, John? And I was like, irrelevant. I will get the shoes back, and then I will figure out those details. I don't remember the word sneakers being used in Scripture, conscience. But later that day, I was like, ah, before I do something I regret, I better call Mrs. Beth. So I called her up, and I was like, all right, Mrs. Beth, here's the scoop. Some joker stole my sneakers. I can beat him up, right? And uh, I didn't say that, but I wanted her to give me permission to harm this person. And, or at least just hold him down, get the sneakers back, and move on with our merry lives. And I, and I said to her, I said, but I'm really wrestling with this. Is this an application of what Jesus said? If someone takes your cloak, give them your, your tunic too. Like, does that apply to running shoes? And... I, I was waiting for the answer, and I was waiting for her to say, I really wanted her to say, no, that's not even the same thing. And she said to me, she goes, what do you think the Holy Spirit's telling you? And I was like, I didn't call him. <laughs> I called you. What are you telling me? And she said, John, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? And I paused because I didn't want to have to give this answer, and I said, I feel like he's telling me I'm supposed to give the kid the shoes. And I still want the shoes, and I actually feel like I need the shoes. But I feel like he's telling me to give the kid the shoes. She's like, eh, I think I'd make a habit of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> I was like, but you know what, you're right. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. But I thought, I'm going to say something to him in the process. I'm going to say something to this kid. And so I caught up with him the next day after school on purpose. I watched where he walked out of the school. I saw him walking. And the shoes looked like clown shoes on them, too, because they were a couple sizes too big, so it was very obvious that they were my shoes. They even still had dirt from where we would run our, you know, our laps. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey. And he's like, uh, hey. And I said, so those are my shoes. And he's like, no, they're not. My brother gave them to me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. So anyway, I know those are my shoes. And I think in that moment, he was thinking, what happens next? And I said to him, do you need them? And he didn't respond. And I said, well, here's the thing. If you need them, you can have them. Have a good day.
and then I walked home. And here's the thing, all these years later, I don't still care about those shoes. I cared about them for a very brief, momentary season of my life. I cared about them a lot, actually. But here's what I do care about. The fact that that was a moment where the Lord used somebody in my life to speak the truth to me, to point me in a Christ-centered direction, to teach me that sometimes it's actually difficult to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, but you still should listen. But it took somebody speaking that into my life for me to be willing to do that, because left to my own devices, I would have tried to look cool in front of my friends and hold this kid down that was two years younger than me, and easily steal those shoes right back, if you could call it stealing my own shoes back. But the point being, it took somebody to sow that into my life for me to understand what it actually looks like to live that out. So I shared that yesterday at her funeral, that this was one of the many things that she taught me about what it looks like to follow Jesus. That was a seed planted in my life by someone who cared about me. You and I will reap what is sown into our life. You're going to reap what's sown into your life. And I think of people like that when I look at Paul's words here in this portion of Scripture, because he teaches us to to share good things with people like that who make deeper investments in our spiritual walk, right? Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Well, she helped teach me the Word of God. And he also reminds us here, that we will reap what is being sown into our lives. And so I want to ask this question in a couple different ways. So we kind of finish up our time here. I really want us to think about this. What are you sowing into your own life? Let's start there. What are you sowing into your own life? What kind of seeds are being planted just in the soil of your life? And then maybe we could also ask it in a related way, who are you also allowing to plant seeds in the the soil of your life? Because I'll I'll guarantee that what this scripture says is absolutely true. If good Christ-centered seed is being planted in your life, you're going to see eternally abundant Christ-centered fruit cropping up. That's what's going to crop up. But if you're allowing the seeds of worldliness... You're allowing the seeds of ungodliness to be planted in your life, wherever they're being planted from, whatever's influencing you, if you allow those seeds to be planted in your life day in and day out, day in and day out, you'll grow up with a crop of worldliness coming out of your life. And here's what comes with worldliness, shame and regret. So if you would like more shame and if you would like more regret, keep planting seeds of worldliness in your life because that's the crop you're going to get. But if you would like to see godliness just coming forth, bursting forth from your life like a healthy crop, allow those who love Jesus to make investments in your day-to-day life and be one of those people who make that kind of investment in the lives of others and in your own life because you're going to reap what is being sown into your life. So let me say this as we finish up. When we deepen our relationships with those who love Jesus, and when we surround ourselves with layers of support from our Christian family, we can be certain that we are going to receive help to navigate trials, the wisdom we need to make wise choices, and the friendships that we need 
friendships we really need to be surrounding ourselves with who will help us celebrate our successes and, and, and even celebrate in our joys over the course of our life. And I also think we're going to be blessed with a, a healthy dose of clarity that we will need if we're trying to say yes to the dreams, desires, and calling that God has placed on our life. Because quite often, God grants us that clarity through the counsel of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in our lives on purpose, not by accident. And you and I will grow deeper in our walk with Christ if we welcome that, because that's what we were designed to welcome, and that's what he's inviting us when we look at a portion of Scripture like this to embrace and rejoice over the kind of people that he places in your life and in my life that point us toward him are a blessing and can give us great clarity about his will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at these things and to think about these things. Lord, we realize that you have designed us to live in relationship with one another. You have not designed us to live in isolation. That is, a, that is a detrimental posture that so many people throughout the course of history have attempted to take, and all it does is it produces bad fruit. So, Lord, we pray that we would not be isolationist in regard to our relationship with one another. We pray that we would realize that, that one of the ways that we learn to grow in our walk with you and discern your will is through the direct input that you give to us through those that you've placed in our lives who also know you. So, Lord, I'm grateful for people that you've placed in my life that have, that have demonstrated that for me and have played that role in my life in the past and are playing that role in my life in the present. So, Lord, I pray that I would listen to good counsel as I'm being given it, and I pray that I would give good, good counsel that points, people to other, points others to you, just as this portion of Scripture is pointing us toward you. Lord, we're so thankful for the fact that we have the privilege to live in community, and we recognize that you have lived in perfect community from eternity eternity past. You've created us in your image, and you've called us to reflect you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would realize that this is a necessary facet of what it looks like to reflect your heart. So, Lord, thank you so much for the counsel we're given in this portion of Scripture from the book of Galatians. We pray that it wouldn't just be words on a page. We pray that this would be the type of thing that we learn to live out. And again, we're just so thankful for the, for the people that you've placed in our lives who help us live this out and who also give us the opportunity to put into practice this concept of bearing one another's burdens. Again, Father, we're grateful for the burden that your Son, Jesus Christ, bore on our behalf And we're grateful for the privilege to be inspired and empowered by your Son to bear the burdens of others that you've placed in our lives as they bear our burdens as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.